0: Hello, and welcome to a special Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Brody. I just want to take a quick minute to say thank you for listening, and I'm so sorry this episode is late in airing. My husband says my listeners will understand the life of a mom, particularly the life of a special needs mom, and I'm hoping that's true, but I trust you to understand. I'm excited about this episode, though, and I think you'll love it as much as I do. I'm talking today with my friend, Jared Kennedy. I had the privilege of meeting him and his wife, Megan, at a conference. You'll hear our story in a bit, and we've had many chances to get to know each other better over the years and become friends. Jared has become my go-to guy for everything that is special needs, friendly, in children's ministry. I've utilized some of the tools he's developed with his team at Sojourn and ideas for both ministry leaders and families in the seminars I give at conferences. And they've been such a great help. I know they will be for you, too. Especially if you're a ministry leader for children or even youth. Parents, there's encouragement for you, too, as Jared is also the father to his daughter, Lucy, who is on the autism spectrum. He also has two other daughters, Rachel and Elizabeth. He serves as pastor of operations and families at Sojourn Church Midtown in Louisville, Kentucky, as children's and family ministry strategist for the Sojourn Network, and as an adjunct instructor at Boyce College. He is author of The Beginner's Gospel Story Bible, and he and his wife Megan co-wrote a book on planning a child dedication service called Before the Lord, Before the Church. He is also co-author of The Proof Pirates and the Clap Your Hands, Stomp Your Feet Vacation Bible School curriculums. Jared contributes to the Gospel Coalition, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and He Reads Truth, which is a worldwide community of men committed to reading the Bible together every day. You can check out the He Reads Truth app, currently only available on iOS. There's a She Reads Truth counterpart as well for women. You can follow Jared on Twitter at Jared S. Kennedy, and check out his book and other resources on his website, gospelcenteredfamily.com. So our plan was to talk through inclusive children's ministry classroom environments, which we do, but we do some deep dives into some other really great discussions as well. I hope your heart is encouraged as much as mine was. Hey Jared, welcome
1: to A Special Hope. Hey, Sarah. It's good to be with you.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you finally made it today. <laughs> <laughs> did you get your sushi?
1: I did. I did. I finally made it out of the grocery store. They made the, the sushi <laughs> this morning, and it it is in the fridge. So we're excellent. We're, yes, we're in good shape.
0: Awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your family.
1: Yeah. So I'm Jared Kennedy. I'm married to Megan. We were married in 2002, so we've been married a good while now. And uh, we have three daughters. Uh, Rachel is 14. Lucy, our middle daughter, is 12. And our youngest, Elizabeth, is 9. So Rachel's going to start high school as a freshman. Lucy is our daughter who is on the autism spectrum, so on the severe side of the spectrum. So she is a student at uh, the Bluegrass Center for Autism here in town. And then our youngest, um, Elizabeth, is about to start fourth grade. So that's our family.
0: So we're not too far off then because we also got married in 2002 and we have a 15 year old, 13 year old and 11 year old. So our freshman will be a sophomore And Sam's going to be a freshman, which is kind of terrifying. And (laughs) Josh is going into middle school. So our kids are born just within a couple of years of each other. And you and I met at a conference in Louisville. Was it Louisville? I think it was. It was a children's conference, right? And um, I think I was just tagging along with Kyle, actually. And you guys, do you remember that? by the way.
1: I do not remember that. So I you don't remember that. So I met Kyle because I went to church with his mom and dad when I first came That's to right. the seminary. And, I forgot um, about that. and so I knew Kyle before you guys were married a long time ago. Oh. And then, and then I don't remember how we met. I remember you coming to our house. <laughs> And hanging out with Megan and I and us having a conversation Uh later on. And I didn't know. I just wondered if we met online before that. But um, no, we we were at
0: a conference.
1: Was it in? Yeah, we were at a
0: conference. You know, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was it it was when we were still living in Maryland. So, I think it had to have I think it had to have been in Louisville. Maybe at Sojourn. Maybe so. I don't Maybe so. I don't remember where Kyle would remember where exactly it okay. was cuz he remembers that oh. kind of stuff but you were teaching a class you were doing a seminar okay. um as a children's pastor and so I went to that one and cuz I was at that time Sam was a lot younger and you know we were kind of just kind of going through a lot with with his diagnosis and things uh-huh. and 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 at first, you, it wasn't anything about disability. It was just a seminar on, on children and teaching children. And so I thought, well, maybe this could be helpful. And then you started talking about Lucy. Mm-hmm. And and immediately I started looking around for your wife. I was like, where's the mom? I need to meet the mom. And I thought, okay, I, I need to talk to these people afterwards. So when it was over, I introduced myself. And I think somehow through that, we kind of figured out, oh, you know, Kyle. And oh, that's a cool connection. Yeah. yeah. and. So I got Megan's phone number and we just kind of, we just kind of connected there at the conference briefly. Uh But then another time when we came into town, I contacted Megan and I was asking about a play date with the kids and she was like, oh yeah, we've got this really awesome place at at the church. So we got to go to Sojourn for that. Oh, cool. And um, so Sam and Lucy played in the playground area awesome. and Megan and I got to talk for a little while and then another time was when we came to your house. So it's just kind of been these random connections over the years Um, and then when I started speaking at conferences you were my first contact because I wanted to talk to Um, a children's pastor, you know, someone who was in ministry for kids Mm -hmm. about how can we minister to families of kids with special needs? What can families be doing ahead of time? How can they make a contact, a connection with a ministry leader? What can ministry leaders be doing to serve families better? So you gave a lot of really helpful information. I've given that seminar three different times now, and I'll be doing it again in the fall at the Wonderfully Made Conference in Kansas City. And every time I talk about it, they're like, what website is that? I'm like, it's Sojourn. <laughs> go to Sojourn. <laughs> and they've got a whole big list of all these things that, you know, I'm like, you can take it for what it's worth and use what you need from it. But it's, an, it's been an amazing resource and it's already been super helpful to, to mm-hmm. a lot of families. How did you go into ministry? How did that start? And then tell us kind of the story of how disability Informed your ministry work,
1: yeah. So our ministry stories, yeah, it's taken a lot of twists and turns over the years. And so I'll just I'll give you sort of a big overview. But yeah, I felt a, I, you know, like a lot of kids who grew up in in Christian churches and in youth group, I felt a call to ministry in high school. I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like in the future, but um, I went to Bible college at Tacoma Falls College in Northeast Georgia. That's where Megan mm-hmm. and I met. We took some classes together there, studied a number of things. And I think coming out of college, entering marriage at the end of our college time, our plan was I was going to do a master's degree here in Louisville. And then we were going to move down to Texas, go to um, the graduate institute of applied linguistics and i was going to put megan through a master's degree there wow we were planning to um move overseas and be bible translators oh wow so um it's it's really interesting all of my schooling is in greek and hebrew and linguistics and uh, for the last 12 to 15 years of ministry i've worked with kids and an educational <laughs> ministry and i think i have one class in it. And so, from my <laughs> wow. college and scenario,
0: And that's a different kind of language. It Those is. Different linguistics it is it's a different so kind of mission work.
1: And so, right. it's probably dehumanizing that I, I joke about the unreached people group that I've been sent to as the little pygmies that run around at our feet. But um, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really love it. And I, I think it's a different kind of translation work, too. You communicating complex truths and in simple language for children is a different different kind of translation work, too. Um, honestly, our, our daughter Lucy's diagnosis was one of the big triggers that transitioned that for us. And so right. I was serving here at Sojourn in a children's ministry capacity, but we had come to Sojourn really with the thought of we will serve here for a few years and they will be our sending church to send us to grad school down in Texas and then overseas. right? And uh, Sojourn, even at that time, had a reputation of, of sending missionaries. And so that was our reason for coming here. And as we moved through, you know, began to notice things that were happening with Lucy's development and began to notice, you know, various delays and ask questions of doctors and look into therapies. Um, we we kind of recognized the Lord was redirecting us to stay here in the States in a place where um, she could be cared for. And so the Lord really redirected our plans at that time and sent us yeah. into ministry here.
0: And how did that affect you and and Megan? Were you, were you heartbroken over that? Was it, did you grieve that? How, was it kind of an exciting thing, even though it was terrifying at the same time. How, how did you feel about that?
1: I think that's one of those, like, yes, all of the above. I mean, you know, so, you know, your emotional, <laughs> your emotional journey is kind of it, it has its ups and downs. I think, I think there's times we've been really excited and thrilled about the opportunity to minister to families that we've had because of Lucy. I think right. there's times when certainly I think, especially for Megan, where this is not what I imagined, you know, my, my ministry career would look like. Right. You know, expecting to be translating overseas. And so there's been times of, of, of a lot of grief. So, yeah, I would say yes, all of the above. There have been times right. we've been heartbroken and times when, when we've been excited. And, and I think we still experience that. You know, I think any time that you experience any Any sort of persistent brokenness, Um, Mm. and that there's times when it's really appropriate to lament and be sad and heartbroken and grieve that. And then there's you know there there are those glimpses of hope. There's those times when when you see the Lord step in and intervene, and you you really celebrate what He's doing there, and and realize you know had we not experienced this brokenness, we wouldn't have experienced our Lord in this way. Either or other people wouldn't have experienced our Lord in this way.
0: Right. So tell me now about how dealing with your own diagnosis of autism in your own family, how did that change things in what you were doing in children's ministry as a children's pastor?
1: Yeah, I think, man, I don't think I, you know, I've talked to people whose theology really, like the way they think about what they did mm-hmm. completely changed. You know, I think Sandra Peoples has talked about this a little bit, like it, just kind of the way, she even, yeah. the way she even thinks about God really changed drastically. And I don't think I experienced a, um, my beliefs on paper taking a radical shift. But goodness, there are things I said I believed. That I don't think I knew what they meant. Like, I don't, mm. I don't, you know. Like, so, like what? So,
0: Do you have an example of that? <laughs> yeah. I,
1: you know, there's that old, uh, like, Lutheran theology of the cross that God's glory is most clearly revealed in places that are broken and are often hidden. His character is most clearly mm-hmm. seen in weakness. Right. And, um, you know, I could have, opened the Bible and talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh, or talked about how Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, if you've seen me, and, you know, I think that's in Jesus and his incarnate humanity. And then ultimately, when Jesus is raised up on the cross in his weakness, he's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and said, yeah, this is the yeah. heart of God that in the midst of a place where Christ was broken for our sin, that's where we see his greatest glory." But man, I don't think I'd experience that. I don't think I'd experience what it looks like to to be crucified and to die and and to know that's where God's glory is most clearly seen. And I think I've I've come to a lot deeper convictions about, you know, that parable of the banquet where the Jesus is invited to a banquet at the Pharisees' house. Yeah. And the Pharisees are jockeying over who is going to have the best seat at the banquet table, who's going to be seated most closely to the host. And Jesus says, you know, when you come to a banquet, don't sit at the head of the table, sit at the very end so that you're not embarrassed when the host comes in and says, yeah, I didn't want you sitting right next to me. You've got to move further away. But rather you put yourself, (laughs) you rather put yourself in a place where Jesus might come all the way down to the end of the table or the head of, whoever's at the head of the uh, table, the host would come all the way to the end of the table and invite you up closer to the head. He said, in fact, when you throw a banquet, don't throw banquets for people who can repay you. Go out in the streets and to those who are are blind and lame and crippled, to the people who are on the absolute margins of society and invite people who can't repay you. Mm. Because then in my kingdom, when they can repay you, you'll receive a reward instead of receiving your full reward here. And I I think there's just a beauty in that. There are ways in which our daughter cannot repay us as parents in this life. Mm. Um, Yeah. That I, and that are even, maybe even the ways we love her and serve her are unseen. I know there are ways. My wife's out of town this week. That's why I'm running to the grocery store in the morning to get sushi before podcasts. And right. uh, and so I you know after carpool swing by the grocery store and get sushi so I don't have to cook tonight. But I know there are ways. I think I experience it when Megan's out of town that she serves our children and especially Lucy every single day that are unseen right. by the world. Um, that Lucy can't repay her for, and yet in glory, I think we have this beautiful promise that God has the ability to make even those who suffer from and have unique needs, even those who who suffer from unique disabilities will enable them to pay us back in a way that, that we, we don't experience now. And I I just think that's a picture of the cross and the way that uh, God's glory is displayed through weakness that I think theologically I would have said, yeah, that's true. I probably wrote that in a paper in seminary at some point. Um, I I, I didn't, I didn't know it on an experiential level until the Lord granted granted, Lucy, see to us.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that we knew in our heads and we could, you know, kind of ascend to a knowledge of something, but then to experience it for yourself, that's a completely different kind of, of knowledge, you know, kind of like the difference between gnosis and epinosis, right? Yeah, that's with, right. With head knowledge versus Versus heart knowledge. So, yeah. you know, we move from a, a knowledge of God, a head knowledge of God of, you know, well, yes, I, I believe that what this says is true. I, I, I affirm that, that this is true, but then believing it and, and living it out and experiencing it
1: is, is a completely different story. Look at you, Sarah, quoting Greek first thing in the morning. That's
0: impressive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I feel kind of impressive. Uh, no, I learned that from, from Wayne Barber in precept Bible Study. Okay. I learned that from awesome. Wayne Barber. And and I just I remember the way that he taught it because he had this this big old smile and the way that he talked. And it was just, it it just sticks with you. Uh-huh. And while you were talking too, just to balance out the whole Greek thing, I also thought of Downton Abbey. So okay. <laughs> in Downton Abbey... So we're currently, my husband and I are currently watching through it and which I have to say, I have to give a shout out to my husband because he is... He is enjoying Downton Abbey. And I don't believe that he's embarrassed by that one bit. So I started rewatching it just because I wanted to watch something while I folded laundry or whatever. And then he came home and and we got into it. And now we have to watch it together. So I don't get to watch it on my own. I have to wait for him. And now there's a movie coming out. So he's excited to kind of finish watching it. And then we're going to see the movie together. Anyway, in Downton Abbey, you know, it's very proper and how they have dinner, their dinners Uh are very proper. And there's a seating order. Uh-huh. And so the host has to sit in a certain place, and then they have their special guest seated close to them, and then everybody else is on kind of the outskirts, and it and it goes around. And there's one episode where somebody, I forget exactly who, starts to sit in a certain place, and they're like, no, 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 you're you're not going to sit there, and they're they're trying to kind of pair people together, like, oh, you know my daughter needs to marry this guy. So we're going to seat them together. And so normally he would sit here, but so they have to tell someone, no, 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 you're not sitting in this place of honor. You're going to sit down there. And it's kind of an embarrassment. So when you're talking about start out sitting in the place of embarrassment, then you can be moved up to a place of honor versus the other way around. Downton Abbey was the thing I was thinking of, not Greek. So (laughs) if that helps to kind of balance out my Uh, my thought process.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that has a lot of practical implications for the way we do ministry too. Right. And so I, I think, well, I don't know you know, there's just all those statistics about how, how reticent churches are to welcome in kids who have unique needs. And, you know, I think, I don't know, when I was first starting out in ministry, you know, somewhere between 12 and 15 years ago, you know, the big thing was to have, and maybe this is still a big thing, I don't know, but um, to have like a big attractional children's ministry. So, you know, we built a playground on our children's wing, like you guys got playground, right. And, and, and I, th- I th- we th- did,
0: and it's phenomenal. Um, I was so impressed by that. It was incredible. And
1: so, and so, you know, there, I think there are really cool things about that, you know, that are welcoming for families that are contextualizing and I think that's awesome, but I think too it can, when a family is is maybe coming from a, a background where a, a kid who's in the foster system has experienced trauma um, in their past, or mm, right. a kid just has behaviors that are difficult in the classroom environment, it can put you in this mentality where the glory is all outward, and you kind of mm. try to you keep that at arm distance rather than really believing that the true glory is not in the beautiful playground but it's in the weak places <laughs> you know the, the okay. tr- that's where the the gospel is found is in the in the weak moments and moving toward with a lot of intentionality those places of weakness and so to me now after being in ministry for 12 years or so one of the more beautiful things to me about children's ministry is we just did VBS last week and I got to observe just a few kids, one who is uh, a young man whose parents are, are uh, refugees um, from Iraq, who, who are believers who were living in, in Iraq and fled ISIS to the States. And Oh, wow. you know He had experienced a lot of PTSD, and, so he, and there were language barriers. And so when he first started in our children's ministry, he just had a really, really rough time. And this is, I think, his third year in BBS. And he was just, he was doing the hand motions, you know, in the closing ceremony with all of the, with the songs and was participating in everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, the change that's taken place, you know, and to see this kid be welcomed in and accepted in our community and, and to be kind of grow, you know, his family growing with our church family and and him kind of growing up in the faith is a really beautiful thing to me to see the. The movement over time, right? To me, the the real beauty's there, and not in how much money we spend on how beautiful the the wing looks. So some of those things are are tools, you know. But sure, whatever size church or size budget you're in, you can move toward those kids who are on the margins, right? And if you'll press in over time, you know, those first few Sundays, maybe even that first year or two is going to be really tough but what a beautiful thing when you've invested in yeah. that child and you've seen the Lord do a work in them over time
0: absolutely so let's talk about what ministry leaders can be doing to to see that kind of beauty and to bring in the marginalized and how to how to include kids who have some differences how can leaders create inclusive classroom environments you mentioned that earlier about a classroom environment. How can they create an inclusive classroom environment in, in their church's ministry? What can they be doing to, to welcome kids in, to make them feel like, like they belong? What can they do for that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is just that inclusion starts with hello. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't start in the actual classroom itself, but it starts um, Mm. when the family first arrives. At the door. At the door. That's right. And so I, you know, and I think it's always a good thing. You know, I think sometimes some disabilities are more visible than other, outwardly visible than others. Right. Sure. But I, I think it's always helpful to try to greet the child and not just greet the, talk to the parents, but actually talk to the child. And it may be that this child is nonverbal, you know, and, and isn't able to respond to you.
0: Right. But it doesn't the, matter. Though. But the
1: parent will correct. <laughs> Do it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say and the parent will correct you. I mean, are, you know, if, the, if, if it's concerning to the parent, they'll, they'll talk to you. You've actually right. like, communicated in moving toward that child that you care about them. Right. And I, I don't think most moms and dads are going to be offended by that. Like they're No, they're going to be really excited that you want to welcome their child. And so I I would say that's one of the first things. And then I I think just being really intentional, I think particularly, you know, I mean, I would say just your average suburban parents with typically developing kids, you, you come to church. And you're thinking about maybe the coffee and getting to the service, and just getting your child back <laughs> in and dropping them off as quickly as possible. Right. But I think if if you've got a child with unique needs, you got a ton of questions about like, mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Right. Is it going to be okay? Like if I leave my child right. and and so I mean, just taking the time to ask questions and listen. And I think if you expect you know, maybe there is a developmental delay or something here that maybe the parent hasn't been forthcoming with us right away. Just even being intentional about saying, hey, would you mind if I walked you through at the schedule of what we're going to do this morning? Right. And, and even where our transitions are going to be. And so our environments at Sojourner, um, like a lot of churches, I think where we have a large group teaching environment, and then we have small group. Classroom environment. So right. that starts at kindergarten. Man, that kind of a transition out of a classroom to a bathroom break to a to an assembly from music to teaching. You know, some churches do like a large group game time, like if you were are in a wana, and then back into the classroom for small group time. Man, that number of transitions can be really difficult right. for a lot of kids. And even just being able to walk through that with a parent ahead of time and and allowing that parent to gauge that's going to be hard for him or her, you know, and, and being able to begin to have conversations about what that looks like at, from the very beginning, I think is is right. really helpful.
0: So do you have that written down? Is it something that you're showing the parent or the kid? Is it like a visual schedule or is it just a, I'll talk you through it? How do, how do you do that with the parents and with the kid?
1: Yeah, so we don't have it written down out in our like welcome area. And so most of the time at first, we're just talking through it with the parent in terms of the welcome. Okay. But then we do have it on the, we actually have picture schedules on the wall okay. in the classroom. Those are so great. And I think that's really helpful. I think it's really helpful for every kid. <laughs> and not for all kids <laughs> you're <yes. all> <laughs> gonna know what's happening Definitely. next and um the way ours work is we basically just have like there's one that says free play that has pictures of little kids playing and one that says clean up that has a picture of the toy box and toys going into the toy box worship that has a music note bible story that has a picture of the bible snack and we do water and goldfish every week so there's there's goldfish on the snack thing. And then, and every church doesn't do this, but we we provide sort of allergy-friendly options during that snack time.
0: That's really important, too, especially now. There's just so many different allergies and it's not just peanut allergy anymore, you know, so yeah, it's right. really important for churches to be aware and to be sensitive to that for families.
1: So yeah, craft time, game, and then sort of free play. Clean. We have cleanup a couple of times on the picture schedule and then pick up. Which you know shows a picture of a parent coming in and at the door holding the hand of their child, and you know ours are not super high budget. you know I've seen magnet picture schedules, but ours are um, you know basically we printed these out and we laminated them, and we put velcro on the back mm-hmm. so that we can velcro the the movements of the class up and down right and take them away as they happen and that that picture schedule, you know, allows kids the opportunity to kind of know what's happening next. And so some of our kids with, with unique needs, that's really essential for them to know that. And others, um, right. I think, but I think it's helpful for the whole class.
0: Right. Absolutely. So what other kinds of tools can classrooms have on hand for those with, with unique needs, like fidgets or special writing tools? Or what, what, do you, what do you use in your classrooms? What do your teachers use?
1: Yeah. So we have fidgets. We have the like, you know, little squeeze balls and little things that kids can play with help that them, help them pay attention. We have actual timers. So in addition to like a wall clock, we have a sort of a wall timer that's about the same size as the wall clock that we can set for five, 10 or 15 minutes. Oh, nice. um, Which I think is helpful before those transitions to be able to say, hey, the transition is happening in this amount of time. It just gives that child kind of that ability to do some planning, you know, even in their own mind that this transition is on its way. Right. You know, one thing that we found to be really helpful, we have like a sheet so that when it's story time, some of our classrooms are smaller, we can have the kids clean up and put the toys away, and then um, we throw a sheet over some of the like toy areas, like the play kitchen, and that kind of thing, oh, so that it's a little bit so
0: it's not distracting. Yeah, that's
1: right. So it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind when we have story time, and so I that's a I good idea that we use that every week. But it's been a really helpful thing to be able to kind of throw that over. You know, it just helps helps with focus, right. Um, I I don't know. The other thing is not really a tool, but just you know something we do in training is that I think it it's good to offer kids choices, but to offer kids choices that mm. ensure their follow through and so on the schedule. And so we we're training our teachers to say things like, "Not do you want to go to worship or not?" <laughs> and and you know uh, right. Uh, a teacher can do this without thinking where they're like, yeah, It's okay. time to go to worship. Do y'all wanna to go to worship? And it's like, don't give them that option. Don't give them that option. It's worship time. Don't give them the option. <laughs>
0: that doesn't end well in my house when I say, you know, you know, Sam, can you hand me that plate? <laughs> no. Well, um okay, okay, I'm not actually asking you. I'm I'm and he's like, Well then why did you ask me? If you ask me, you give me the option to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fair. Give me the plate. <laughs> so yeah, I, I understand that.
1: That's right. And so some of the things we do is, is, I don't know, kids want freedom just as much as we do. right? <laughs> and so I think giving choices can be helpful and empowering for kids, mm-hmm. but we're trying to train our teachers to give choices that ensure follow through. And so an example would be, do you want to sit with me during worship or do you want to sit with your friends? Uh, you know, do you, do you want to sit in the front during worship or do you want to sit in uh, the back? Yeah. Well, at this point, we've given a good choice that's allowing some freedom. Do you want to fidget during worship or do you not want to fidget right. during, during worship? Do you want you want headphones during worship or do you don't want headphones during worship? Worship is not optional. Right. Like we're, we're going to go, we're going to sit with our classroom out during the worship time. But I've, I've empowered the child with some level of freedom, some level of choice. Right. And so I don't know, maybe that's manipulative. But, I, but I, th- I think it's a way for us to both empower the child to say, hey, I've got, I've got within boundaries, right. I've got some level of being able to choose my own adventure during class today. Right. And yet I'm doing that in such a way that it ensures kind of follow through with the schedule, with our inclusion goals right. for the class yes. And so that's something that just start teaching our teachers how to do that has been really helpful for right.
0: us. So. Those are great ideas. Those are really great ideas. Having, giving kids choices within boundaries. So they're, they're teacher approved. <laughs> and right. setting timers that's helpful for kids to know that's helpful for all kids but like you said it's it, it can be crucial for some kids to know to avoid meltdowns and and that kind of thing putting things out of sight with just by throwing a bed sheet over over the top of of things that can kind of help lessen the distractions during during teaching time and giving choices for worship and uh, those are all excellent ideas so moving in a little bit of a different direction, let's talk about what ministry leaders can do to help families through a diagnosis. And you touched on this briefly, what teachers can do if they suspect a kid has a diagnosis but hasn't been told. So maybe there's something that a parent hasn't hasn't said, you know, they haven't told the teacher, oh, you know, he has this issue or this disorder or or whatever. And and parents have all kinds of reasons for for not giving that kind of information, and that's that's up to them to do. It, it is helpful for teachers to know if there is a diagnosis or if there is a particular issue that, that a child struggles with. But if a kid comes in to the children's ministry and the teacher discerns that there's something just a little bit different, a little unique about this child that might require some special attention, but the parent doesn't give any specific instruction, how can the teacher start that conversation with the parent? It, it, or should they? Should they yeah. even say anything at all? Should yeah. they should they wait? Maybe if the child comes for a few weeks in a row and then you know, a month or two down the yeah. line, you're seeing the same things, the same issues. and yet the parent still has not said anything. How do ministry leaders yeah. approach a parent with that? Do they go to the children's pastor and say, you need to talk to them? Does the teacher do it? What suggestions do you have for ministry leaders who are in that kind of position?
1: I think this is super important. I, I think, you know, one of the cool things about kind of the tools we talked about a minute ago is that if those tools are in place on a weekly basis, whether you have kids with disabilities in your classroom or not, if you're using, using the picture schedule all the time, if you're um, maybe setting timers all the time. Your, your teachers have sort of in their culture, the fact that there's, I don't know, there's fidget options or, and they're going to give empowering choices that ensure follow through. Um, if that's in your culture all the time, sometimes you can put up with a child who maybe um, has a disability, which you aren't aware of. Mm. What that is, you haven't been given a ton of information. The classroom environment still helps. You know, include that child and kind of gauge their participation right. and you know encourage not gauge but encourage their their participation right. but getting back to your question i th- I think that um yeah, I think it's really important I think there there's some folks who work with kids with disabilities as like their career, um maybe they're in the education or education system or they work for a therapy center and you know, maybe you observe behaviors in the classroom and, and, you know, you're passionate about serving in children's ministry on Sundays, in addition to what you do for your career, because like you love kids and you're passionate about that. And then your job during the week is maybe to actually really diagnose a child (laughs) or recommend them for diagnosis. And I think it's just really helpful to know I, you're, That passion to serve children really helps you. But on Sundays, your job is not to diagnose Mm. a child. It is to include them in the classroom environment and our our learning goals there. It is to speak the gospel to them, but it's not to diagnose them. In fact, I actually think, you know, in terms of helping the relationship of the church to the parent one of the worst things you could do is walk up to the parent and say, you know, I think your child's on the spectrum. What? You know, I mean, <laughs> my child is on the spectrum. And if someone did that to me, I'd be like, gosh, that was an awkward conversation. Right? right. <laughs> Why didn't you just bring that up? I, I think the way to approach that is typically you're observing that because there are struggles that are happening in the classroom. There are behaviors you know whether that's the child bolting and running the way, or the child perseverating and and uh, you know scripting and causing a distraction during the teaching time, or just having trouble. You know, sort of defiance and and tantrums, or a lot of trouble with transitions, mm-hmm. and you're noticing very particular behaviors that are leading you to think that. I think what's totally appropriate with any child is to say. Hey, these are behaviors I've noticed and to come to the parent and say, I want to make you aware of this happened today. Um, I want to let you know what we did in terms of helping redirect your child or, or in terms of helping, you know, we, we use this picture schedule. We, we set some timers to help with transition, but I wanted to ask you to, uh, are you aware of anything else that we could do that would help your child be included? Right. And take a posture of real humility and learning mm. from the parent. Now that can be done poorly too. You know, it can be. Man, your child had problems. Right. <laughs> can you help us? You know, like, I've been on
0: that side of the like, fence too. I, I, I have been. I've been on the receiving end um, of, of that part of things before, and it's it's not pleasant. Like, oh man, so here are the issues that we had today.
1: That's right, and so I do think I do think there's a patience with that. There's like man, this is a child's first time and they had some issues. This kid, you know, kids who are just experiencing separation anxiety sometimes can have issues like Mm -hmm. this. Kids who had, for whatever reason, refused to eat their breakfast this morning and they're having blood sugar issues during Sunday school, have those issues during Sunday school where they they get defiant. First of all, I think as a first response, especially on a child's first week, not to make this a battle not to make this a a like huge discipline issue where the child is set in the corner right. but where you are kind of humbly in a place posture of inviting mm-hmm. that child to participate trying to connect with that child redirect them so that they're included you're using those tools of for inclusion that I talked about a moment ago and then i would say you know, if, over, Like you said in your question a minute ago, if over a few weeks this is persistent, to then humbly go to the parent and first of all, explain all the things you're doing to try to help the child be included, then explain a few of the behaviors that have persisted mm-hmm. and then try to work with them to make a plan for inclusion, not for you got to fix this before the child can come back right. or, you know, not coming to the parent exasperated but really genuinely in a humble way saying how can we partner together and or you know maybe there are things that have been helpful for your child at home or in, in a school setting right. that would help us make our environment more inclusive right. for them as well i i've found that when you're i don't know when you have a team member who can approach that in a really humble way with a parent it's at that point that the parents like oh man I probably should have told you this before, right? but we've been working through a diagnosis process or, or, you know, we've noticed the same things at school and these are the things we're trying there. You know, in fact, my child has an IEP. Do you think we could, could we could share that with you? And maybe you guys could try some of the same things, you know, it's at that point where some parents will see that intake form for special needs ministry on your website and they'll fill all of that out for you or they'll actually come to your church, maybe through a ministry like Key Ministry, who's who's encouraged them to come to you. That happens sometimes. But I think a lot of parents are just, especially when they're first going through, they're figuring things out themselves. They're first working through that diagnosis process. And man, it's just overwhelming to figure this out for school, you know, each week. And it's the weekend and it's hard to think about this here too. You know, if you come with a humble posture of a helper who really loves their kid and really wants to see them have a good experience in children's ministry, have a good experience in Sunday school, have a good experience in youth group, and just you want to make sure the parent's aware of how things have been going and so that you can learn from them how to help their child, right. man, that's going to go a long way yeah. toward building a relationship.
0: So I'm hearing you say that the best way to address something, if if a teacher thinks that maybe there's something going on is to just deal with it like you would any other kid in your classroom first, do that first, and just make them as comfortable as possible. Do whatever you think needs to be done in the classroom with timers or with fidgets or whatever it is that maybe having a knowledge of a diagnosis isn't completely pertinent to Him being able to be included in a Sunday school classroom in church. And that if a teacher does feel pressed to speak to a parent, then to speak to them in a way that just says, you know, these are things that we've noticed in class and here's what we're doing. How can we better help them in this way? The purpose in doing that is not to drive them to, I think you need to get your kid diagnosed, or is there something about your kid that you haven't told me? That's that's really not the purpose of it. It's the purpose of how can we best help this child, regardless of anything else. And if there is something else that the parent wants to share, then that that's their prerogative to do so. Is is that about accurate? I
1: think I think that's true. I, I mean, I think the one exception would be right where I don't know. You're just you just kind of become aware of something that could be a danger to that child or danger to other sure. children. Sure, right. Kind of the way you know, and and that and that's where you wanna make a little harder stop and say, hey, this happened today and
0: Right. Self-injurious behaviors. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. Self-injurious behaviors or, you know, violent behaviors toward others. Right. Or the kind of bolting that it's like, man, we spent our entire time chasing your child and we we need we are, are gonna need help from a lockdown standpoint that maybe our church hasn't had a situation like this before and we need to I wanna learn from you how you handle this in other parts of your life so that we can, we can learn as a church community. Right. But I think even in those conversations, taking a posture of humility and curiosity. Mm. Um, Rather than
0: authority. Of, in, <laughs> I do this for a living and I know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or defensive, you know, mm. and, and like, and anxious. You know? right. I, I don't know what we're going to do if we don't figure this out, you know? right. like that's not helpful for a parent. Um, and, I, and I think even um, when it's not authority, if it's just like overly helpful and giving advice, like you need to be on a gluten-free diet like that kind, <laughs> of, kind of thing. It's like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's don't do that. Right. Parents of special needs kids get enough advice. And so, you know, that's not that's not our job. Right. Our job is to is to love them well and, and give them Christ who, who moves near them and washes feet, you know, in this situation, you know, you need, you need to take honestly a, a servant foot washing mentality. Mm. And that's, that's going to be the most welcoming thing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I think, man, that's sanctifying for us too, especially if you do have a lot of knowledge, maybe you do know better than the parent. I mean, that can be the right. case.
0: And that can be a very difficult situation to be in. When you feel like, oh, I really think we need to say something, but you know the parent's not going to take it well, or you're not sure how to do it. I think your suggestion of just taking a posture of humility, that's the best That's the best way to handle those kinds of situations. I like what you said about curiosity. My mom taught me that a, a really good way to engage in conversation, especially if it's something that maybe you do know a little bit more about than the other person is to ask questions to get them talking about it. And then you can kind of engage them on on that level. But just to ask questions and see where where they're at with things. And then you can engage them based on their responses and move them towards something that might be more helpful for them. And I think Two what's important to note here is the relationship between the parent and the ministry leaders, and it's really difficult for any leader to be able to go to a parent and say, "Hey, this is a problem. Here's how I think you should handle it. That's really not something that a distant relationship can handle. you know something where where the two people are not close, they don't really know each other well, they're not friends, maybe they're brand new to the church so but mm-hmm. But, if you have a close friend, if it's a if it's someone you know you're volunteering in the in the children's ministry, and one of your friends' kids is in there and and you love this child, you know, because you're friends with this person and and you love your friend. and so I, I've been in that position before, not as a ministry leader, but just as a friend who who sees things and who engages with the child on a regular basis where where we talk about those things and the relationship is the most important thing to keep in mind is to is to keep that intact for all you know at at, at almost any cost a, again unless unless there's true danger being presented. Our goal is relationship and to preserve
2: mm-hmm.
0: the relationship. How can ministry leaders do a good job of walking alongside families who maybe are going through a diagnosis process? Or maybe they've had a diagnosis for a while, but they're going through a grief process. How can, how can ministry leaders walk alongside families? Or how can the church in general walk alongside families who are struggling in that way?
1: First of all, I just want to affirm what you said a second ago, that knowing kind of where you are in a relationship with a person really does determine how much you can speak and how much you can say. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you're welcoming a family who you're not super close to, you know, who you are just meeting for the first time or, or you know, you don't see on a, on a super regular basis, who you don't have a relationship with, you know, your posture has to be just just serve them and become their friend. Yeah. Someone who you do count as a close friend, you can speak into their life. You, you've built that relationship well enough to speak you know that speaking something that's hard isn't going to hurt your friendship. And so you can speak at that point. Mm. I think one more than just practical advice for someone going through the diagnosis process, the difference between pity and empathy.
2: Mm, Yeah.
1: You actually want to take the time and it takes time, right. To feel with a person. Right. And not just pity them. And I think, You know, just my own experiences, Um, Megan and I in various seasons kind of, we grieved through our own diagnosis process sometimes at different paces. There were times when I was so busy trying to get her into therapies or get us signed up for a Medicaid waiver program and, and work through all that paperwork and things. I was just working really hard at doing all the things that needed to be done to take care of Lucy. Right. That I hadn't Slowed down long enough to feel. You know, some of the time we missed each other because those were the times maybe when Megan was feeling things most intensely. Mm. And then when I finally slowed down enough to feel, she was like, man, it's hard to feel now <laughs> when I was feeling so much then <laughs> Right. and you weren't here. Um, and so I've already I, done I that. Think, and I, I don't think, really want to
0: do it again with you.
1: So. I don't really want to do it again. I'm done. You could <laughs> so, just do it on your own. That'd be great. Um, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, I think that's even hard within a, within a marriage. yeah, Certainly, it's hard within our other relationships, too. But I think the importance of kind of knowing the moment and knowing is this a moment when what's really needed is kind of the practical help and helping the person get to appointments. And, and, you know, practical help is needed in the midst of the deep emotions and the grief, too. I mean, that's right. That's the days when you don't want to cook. And so bringing takeout over or sushi in our case. Um, and, uh, <laughs> From Fresh Market. you know, bring it, <laughs> that's right. You know, bringing the takeout over or, you know, bringing that, that meal, if it's a homemade meal is, is really helpful in those times when the, emo- the waves of emotions are coming. Right. But I think it takes time to kind of know where your friends are yeah. and actually being able to laugh with them when they're laughing and grieve with them when they're grieving and weep with them when they weep and rejoice when they rejoice yeah. which that's the you know the biblical definition of really true empathy mm. rather than just pitying them
0: right um, it's like the lowest level of of engagement with a person is is pity
1: yeah that's right and the biblical story i think of is uh Is Hannah and Elkanah, and it's it's not a story about a special needs diagnosis. It's a it's a story about infertility. But I've thought about just the ways in which I was a poor husband at times. I was often like Elkanah, who with Hannah, you know, when she was grieving, you know, the way he handled that was, I need to provide more for her, and so he would give her a double portion of food, and like I should feed her more. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's just kind of it's like. Dude, this isn't helpful. Here, you can't have a child. Um, so. Here's some
0: food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. here's, here's extra food for you, you know? Right. And, and that, I think that there's so many things wrong in that you know, they were he was polygamous, too. And so, you know, it, it created extra jealousy in the household. And, you know, there's lots of things that happened there. But, I mean, you see sort of the bad fruit that took place in the family relationships because Elkanah, rather than taking the time to, to empathize with her, just kind of poured on the pity. Right. And, and
0: trying to move her through it. Like here, it'll be fine. Eat some food, take a nap. It'll be good.
1: Yeah. Rather than being present. Right. And I think we need both in our family relationships and in, which was not really the question you asked. You asked more of the question of the church. But I, I think in your friend relationships too, we can, which is probably the better analogy there is Job's friends. Yeah. Who at first did a really great job. They came they showed up they were there and they were quiet and they listened to him yes and you know they they got it right at first at first until they opened their mouths yeah. <laughs> and then we have chapters and chapters of then went downhill. advice giving so i i think to begin that way you know to show up to be there to listen to be
0: quiet to be
1: quiet yeah. and hear and then i think the next step is to actually minister and serve mm. right, and and to wash feet rather than press into theologizing or, or advice giving. Mansplaining <laughs> is not helpful. No. <laughs> Especially know, for another man. You know, with, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: Man to man. So, I mean,
1: I, I, I think at that point, the, the important thing is to step in really with a heart of service and to, in humility and identifying in a way that, it, not that says like, oh, I understand what you're going through, but Identifying by being there for,
2: right, and
1: weeping when they weep and rejoicing when they rejoice. That's the that's the biblical definition of of empathy. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I I think it's all the practical things, right, like mowing someone's yard and bringing them a meal and coming and cleaning their house or helping drive them to appointments or keep their other kids while they're going to appointments. Those kind of practical things, right? But I think I think the first step is slowing down enough to be present and, yeah. to, and to hear.
0: Right. I think that's excellent. I would say the same thing. We've talked a lot about encouragement and things, and, and you've talked about the beauty of of the gospel and, and disability and 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 how to be there for families and how to minister to kids. What is your special hope in disability? And, and this could be a, a hope that you have as a father or as a pastor that you want to tell other families? What is your message of hope in disability?
1: I think that we have a God who we're just talking about empathy just a moment ago Mm -hmm. and that we have a God who empathizes with us. So Hannah's prayer has really ministered to me. And um, in verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, she says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And so she opens up and basically kind of lays down all of her hopes, which in that society would have been to have a son who could take care of her when she was old, who could be that breadwinner, who would take care of her. Maybe if she was a widow later on, right? she lays that down and says, I'll give him to you. If I can know that you hear me in my pain. Mm. And then she names him Samuel, which means God hears. And what she says is my real heart at the end of the day is that in the midst of my grief, in the midst of the way I suffer to know, not just that others grieve with me, weep with me when i weep and rejoice with me when i rejoice not just that others can empathize with me but that i have a god who is who empathizes with me in the midst of my suffering yes um and that's the christ we have mm. we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness who's able to know us in our suffering because he was tempted in the same ways that we are and so i i think this is it's a great hope for a parent who has experienced times of being heartbroken, who has experienced grief, who is, has experienced the death of dreams in the Lord, maybe moving you in one direction and, and causing that right turn
0: yeah.
1: in a different direction. Mm. To know that He's not just a God who's like, fated you to do something different because He had a different plan, but He's also a God who knows you and loves you and who empathizes you and hears you truly in the midst of your pain. And that's a beautiful hope to me. As we show empathy to families, as we welcome kids into classrooms, my heart would be in the way that we care for families that in in our empathy, they'd get a little picture of a God who hears them.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you so very much for the great conversation that, that we've had today there's just so many other ways that we could go with with this but this has been wonderful and such a good conversation i think you've given some very practical helps and just encouragement from from your own life and as a dad and as a ministry leader who's who's seeking to serve families and not just do things for the kids but your goal eventually is is to serve alongside them and with them and that they would be an active participant in the gospel and which i think is just beautiful. So thank you so much for for taking the time today and we've covered a lot of ground. So I think it'll be very useful and and helpful and such an encouragement and and a true hope in in our high priest. So thank you so very much for joining me today.
1: It's a joy to be with you, Sarah. Thanks for having me.
0: So you have written some books, and I want to make sure to to tell our listeners about the resources that are available for both parents and ministry leaders. So tell us a little bit about the books that you've written, the website that you have for families, for ministry leaders. Yeah.
1: This is a little bit of an all shucks moment for me. So um, <laughs> I... <laughs> So yeah, uh, I blog and write regularly at a website called gospelcenteredfamily.com. So it's a really long website name, but uh, spell that completely out, gospelcenteredfamily.com. And there's resources there, not just on special needs ministry, but on um, leadership and and family ministry and, and children's ministry, a number of resources there. And the books I've written, uh, our team at Sojourn have published a couple of Vacation Bible School curriculums. One is Clap Your Hands, Stomp Your Feet. One is uh, called Proof Pirates, uh, How God's Grace Meets Scallywags Like You and Me <laughs> that are available there. And and then I've written a, a book called uh, The Beginner's Gospel Story Bible, which is uh, 52 stories from the Old and New Testament for um, two and three-year-olds for toddlers. And so um, you can find that there as well. And I think likely by the time this airs, so first part of uh, uh, around January of 2020, I'll have a new book come out that is, uh, tells the Easter story for uh, toddlers and preschoolers. That's oh, called Jesus Rose for Me. That'll be coming out as well. And it's going to be available, at, you know, where books are sold. So it's published by New Growth Press and you can find it at their website and it'll be on Amazon and, and other booksellers as well. Awesome.
0: I see you've got the Beginner's Gospel Story Bible, and then you also have one that's called Before the Lord, Before the Church, How to Plan a Child Dedication. So you also have that for child dedication. Did you forget about it? (laughs) 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 All right.
1: There's there's multiple things there. So yeah, yeah, so if you are a Baptist or Baptistic in your tradition, and you do child dedication and not infant baptism. I have a, a, Megan and I worked on a book together that talks about planning child dedication services and preparing parents to uh, be part of dedicating their kids. So that's available on the website too. That's
0: really cool. That's really cool. And there are also some free downloads for ministry leaders, kind of checklist essentials for your children's ministry plan, grace-based classroom management. Kids Ministry Policies and Procedures Checklist. So there's just lots of really great ideas. There's some free downloads for you. There's recommendations. So I highly recommend checking out gospelcenteredfamily.com. And that'll be in the show notes as well, so people can can easily find that too. If you'd like to connect with Jared, you can find him on Twitter at Jared S. Kennedy and on his website, gospelcenteredfamily.com. Don't forget to check out his books, The Beginner's Gospel Story Bible, and Before the Lord, Before the Church, How to Plan a Child Dedication, as well as all the other free downloads and resources we talked about that are available on the website. All of these links will be made available in today's show notes, so please check those out. I'm your host, Sarah Brody, and this is A Special Hope. You can find our website at hopeinautism.com slash a special hope podcast. Also on Facebook and Instagram at a special hope podcast and on Twitter at a special hope pod. You can also email me at a special hope podcast at hopeinautism.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media and hear your comments. And if you're enjoying listening to A Special Hope, I would greatly appreciate it if you could give a five-star rating and give a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It goes a long way towards helping others find hope and encouragement. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great week.